Book Talk. I'm Alexis. And I'm Christine. And today we will be discussing part two of Winter by Marissa Meyer. So we are joined once again by the amazing Bethany from Prince Kai Fan Pod. Yay. Hi! I just waved, but nobody can see me, so I don't know I why know, I waved. It is what it is. It takes a few minutes to realize, wait, no one can see what I'm doing. No one can see that I'm smiling and nodding along. Exactly. But you know what? It's okay, because we know. We know. It's it's all that matters. It, it comes through in our voice and our, you know, in our words, right? You can yeah. you can totally see us nodding when when we're sitting here. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is, as we said, a part two episode of our thoughts on winter. So be sure to go back and listen to our first part which is where we have our non-spoiler summary, which Bethany was so kind as to read for us. And we had a lot of really interesting discussions about the first kind of section of the book and dissecting Winter's character and talking about how people's perspectives change depending on how you're reading. And I said that really poorly, but that's what we got in store. So if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that first and come back here. And mom, you want to go back to your normal non-spoiler warning or spoiler warning? So, okay, we are going to start discussing this book again. So part two, we are going to be discussing, if you haven't read it yet, press pause, read the book and come back when you're done. This is your official spoiler warning. Hi, welcome back. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us for this second part. It means a lot again. I'm super excited. The second part is where all the good stuff happens. It is. There there is so much stuff about this book that we couldn't just do one episode. We barely scratched the surface last time. You know, I I know it's your podcast, but I do want to ask a question. Yeah. Um, Because I thought of it when we talked about our favorite ships. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite moment for the ship? Yes. I do. I have a favorite moment for all four. Okay. You want to go out first? I was wondering if you guys have like a moment where you're like, this is the best scene for these two people. I do have some of those. Like, (laughs) I have a lot of different moments, but if you want to start off. Yeah, Bethany, go ahead and start us off. Yeah, this is your idea. You can start us off and then we'll also share ours. Okay. um, So Wolf and... Scarlet, my favorite moment is when she's like, no, I stink. Don't hug me. And he was like, I don't care. Love that. Love that moment. <laughs> yes. Crestwall, gotta be the butterfly scene. Oh my gosh. I'm going to put her on the that's table. That's my Halloween oh, costume. So cute. That's my Halloween costume this year. I love it. Um, Winter and Jason, I love in the beginning of Winter when she's having her vision and he kisses her shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's a rare moment where he actually shows affection, and I just love it. Kai mm-hmm. and Cinder, I love the end where he like proposes to her, but not proposes to her, and then he mm-hmm. gives her his sh- the shoe, the foot. I love it. That's it's like the, the final yeah. culmination of um of the Cinderella story that we got in the very beginning. So th- those I are my top that- moments. Yeah, um, I can go next if go you ahead. guys want. Mm-hmm. Well, I think. That I think everyone's favorite moment with Kai and Cinder has to be that moment when he fake proposes with the foot because <laughs> that moment is amazing. Yeah. It's also how terrified she gets makes it hilarious. Oh, yeah, She's no. like, wait, what? 
I honestly, I think he wasn't kidding though when he said, you know, are you disappointed? Because Luna has some very nice jewelry shops and I think he wasn't kidding. If she would have <laughs> no, said- No, he's had too many them. issues already. He's like, I need to lock this down. Yeah, like, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. And then uh, Wolf and Scarlet, I actually, okay. This is in Stars Above. So if you guys haven't read that, this is just a spoiler. But their wedding in Stars Above makes my heart so happy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just like the the something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. The something blue being alpha. I loved that so much. Mm-hmm. Um, Winter and Jason. This one is more difficult. I don't think of like specific moments for them. But I will say, I think it's an amazing moment to read in the menagerie when they're kissing for the first time and like he's trying to save her and that was just a really fun moment to read and then finally Cresswell okay I have a favorite moment because it's really well written and it's very makes me feel emotions and there's also my favorite like happy moment okay favorite happy moment is yeah the butterfly kiss scene but other favorite moment and I I just love it because it makes me so emotional when he stabs her <laughs> because the the way that scene is written yeah the horror in his voice and when he just starts sobbing he's sorry all the usual uh uh i forgot the word confidence gone like that moment is so well written and it breaks my heart so much that it's honestly just a favorite because of how emotional it makes me yeah i also i'd say for cress and thorn for me, <clears throat> just hearing how nervous mm-hmm. he was, like, when trying to explain to her that he had feelings for her, that I, I love because it, it, you know, he comes off as this cocky, you know, arrogant. so arrogant, so sure of himself. And, like, when he was, like, trying to explain, no, you know, like, I do have feelings for you, you know, it's just like, yeah, dude, he, he, you're losing your swagger there. <laughs> yeah, and that's because it, she actually means something to him. Absolutely. And that's what I love so much about their relationship, because he's this whole big swagger-filled guy, and the fact that he can't, like, articulate his feelings for her because he, she means something to him, and that's why I love them so much. Exactly. And then for Wolf and Scarlet, again, I think it's when Wolf is you know, so upset because of how he looks after, you know, Lavana's changed him and, and, you know, Scarlet and, you know, she's like, she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hearing, you know, that, that nervousness that he had that she wouldn't accept him and her being like, but of course I accept you. It's you, you know, it's mm-hmm. to me, that's just so beautiful. Um, yeah, Kai and Cinder, the proposal, non-proposal, the foot yeah. thing was just amazing. Although I, I do love it. his actual proposal. Yeah, well. Because, okay, I read this thing which was like, imagine the ramping crew makes it a tradition to propose to each other's weddings. Yeah. Like, <laughs> because Wolf and Scarlet's wedding, Cinder and Kai get engaged. Their wedding, someone else gets engaged. Maybe it's Crescent Thorn, maybe it's Winter and Jason. Whoever gets engaged there, the next one. It just becomes a tradition so they're all getting married. And he, like it's, it, yeah. it would be so cute. I love that so much. Yeah. Okay. So, back to the book Did itself. she say all of hers? Oh, I oh wait, did you not Winter? say all of hers? Winter and Jason, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I would have to say my favorite scene was 
him taking care of her as she came out of the suspension tank. Mm. I just love that tenderness in him, like, making sure she's okay and yet mm-hmm. still respecting, like, not letting her get full out naked in front of him because, you know, that's improper, but still, like, you know, trying to make take care of her during that whole process. Mm-hmm. And, and I love the little banter there. And yeah. I, again, gentle goose. Yes. I, I, like, I want to get that embroidered on a pillow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my other one. Yeah, I just, I love all these characters. Their relationships are so interesting and so different from each other. But I have to say, now that we're in the second part, you know, going to the end of this book, Mm -hmm. I have to say, this is by far my favorite book just because, you know, especially with fairy tales, Mm -hmm. you always have the prince saving the The princess. princess. And all of these women and the or teenagers women whatever you want to call them but these female figures in these books help themselves get over their fears get over their insecurities Mm -hmm. and get the job done for themselves Mm -hmm. and I love that I love them you know supporting each other and Mm -hmm. helping each other get to where they need to be and I love how throughout the book each of the girls is challenged with something very specific to them so, like, mm-hmm. Cress sacrificing her own safety for the greater good, which is something that happens over and over and over again, which is something that she had a lot of trouble with. She was saying at the very beginning that she was tempted by Cinder's offer to of leave. leaving. Yeah. And so, over and over and over again, whether it was going to open the things and oops, staying behind, staying behind for Winter and Scarlet, and just over and over and over again, knowing that she can't rescue Thorne, she has to continue with the mission. And then it was Scarlet with her not reacting. She's such a hot-headed character mm-hmm. that she needs to not react. And that comes back over and over and over again. Or Cinder with her uh, lack of confidence. She has right. to over and over and over again. And so I love how each character has their own specific uh, trouble that they have to go through. And it's always targeted towards them. You can point out these different moments where they're actually developing as a character. Absolutely. And you can draw those comparisons because that same moment from another character's perspective would not be a struggle. Mm -hmm. So you can see exactly how it's, you know, like what we talked about with, could everyone be held captive like Scarlet? No, Scarlet's the only one that could have handled it. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the same thing. It's almost like they're, those struggles aren't just specific to them, but like they couldn't be inter, um, they're not interchangeable between each other. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know, like, this book is so well-crafted because each character is perfectly aligned with what needs to happen with the story and their character arc. I just, I love this book so much. So in the end of the book, I'm going to jump to the end of the yeah. book. Um, we see that Cinder, you know, has gotten through Levana mm-hmm. and she's now the queen she calls the people, the, the heads of Earth together, and she reveals that they have the info, thanks to Ico, mm-hmm. for developing the device to prevent people being glamour. Yeah. Would you have made sure Audrey and Pearl got the credit and mm-hmm. compensated? Yes, but for a very specific reason. Why? That blueprint does not belong to Cinder. It belongs yeah. to Garen. Yeah. Yeah, that just makes And sense. Garen would have given that to his family. Yeah. 
So I think I just, Cinder is making the decision not based off of what mm-hmm. she wants or how she feels, but based on the fact of like, who did this belong to and how would I be able to honor what they would have wanted? How could I yeah. honor their wishes? I wouldn't be- want to, but like, I would also think of like, this is not. Well, here's the only question I have. They scrapped Ico. Yeah, like, fair enough. They dismantled her, were getting ri- like trashed her. So they were done. Like, they threw her away. So... Again, we have to play devil's advocate, though. How Mm -hmm. many pieces of appliances or equipment have you guys gotten rid of over the years because you didn't know how to fix it and it was broken? But in theory, like, you can fix a vacuum. You never need to buy another one. You can go and hire a specialist to fix it. Mm -hmm. You can fix a toaster. You can fix a pair of shoes. Like, but if you don't know how to do it and you see that piece of equipment as defective and you see that you can buy something else, that's what you're going to do. And yeah, you know, Audrey and Pearl, they didn't see Ico as an entity. They saw her as a piece of equipment to, to make their lives easier. So is a man is a malfunctioning robot that constantly needs fixing easier than having one that you can't take care of is, is Mm -hmm. how you have to look at it. I'm not defending them. I'm just, you have to play devil's advocate and look at things from their perspective. Agreed, but once you throw it away or decide it's trash, if I'm like done with it and say I'm it's garbage, if somebody takes it and finds a $20 bill in my you know shoe that I threw out, I don't have a claim over it because I threw it out. Yeah, again, I think it just goes back to honoring Garen's wishes at that point. You have to you have to take emotion out of it. The the way I look at it is genuinely those blueprints belonged to Garen no matter where they were being kept. Yeah. And Garen didn't give his family that information, but Cinder has that information. She knows that that's who created mm-hmm. it. And she knows that if, if Garen were alive, he would want that, the proceeds of that to take care of his family. And she knows that Peony would too. Yeah. And she has been able to do a lot to honor Peony's loss. And this is a way for her to do that. Yeah. Agreed. I and I, I'm taking that, a lot you know, of liberties based on my own assumptions about Cinder's character. So, you know, I could be as wrong as anybody else. But oh, no, no, obviously she she did feel that way because she gave them the. Yeah. I'm or maybe saying- she I mean, maybe she was just like, look, I'm a better person than you. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, don't know. I'm laying devil's advocate and trying to look at oh, it yeah, from no. all sides. I, I totally get that. That's what makes these discussions so interesting because it's so fun to play devil's advocate because Although I do like to think, oh, I would just let Audrey not have a single dime. I do think, because especially because Cinder has so much stuff, she doesn't need it anymore. Yeah. Like, she doesn't need all these, mo- these like, uh, all this money and stuff. So she is giving it back to Audrey because it is hers. And otherwise, what else would she do with it? And so it, again, it's, I think it's very good character development for Cinder. And so it just, it means it's, it's a very it's the same as when Cinder is in the jail cell and she yeah. has a moment where she could sit there and spend 20 minutes explaining everything to Audrey and arguing her point and defending herself, but it doesn't matter because it's not going to change anything. It's not going to change the way Audrey sees her. It's not going to change the way Audrey treats her. It's not going to change anything. And that's a very mature moment for Cinder mm-hmm. to be like, you know, I could tell her off, but what good does it do? Mm-hmm. I almost started crying during that moment, though. Like, my eyes were filled with tears. Yeah. Just because my heart was breaking over and over and over again when they brought up Peony and, like, they were so... 
And convinced. I think there's a part of us as the reader too that's like, Cinder, defend yourself. Tell her oh, what's yeah. what. Like, definitely. But, but Cinder has that growth, like you talked about. She has that personal growth and that maturity where she understands mm-hmm. the situation. Yeah. So it just that moment kind of breaks my heart because Peony is such like an important person to Cinder, and mm-hmm. she never got the time to grieve, and so she knows that Audrey's never going to see her as something human, as someone who has these emotions towards Peony, no matter what she does. And so taking that time to explain it would just be opening an old wound that hasn't fully healed. Right. All I'm saying is I might have said, I'll give this all to you if you'll agree to form like a Peony foundation where you're helping, you know, people and cyborgs, you know, make it have a condition. Yeah have you know working on the relationships between integrating cyborgs more into the society mm-hmm. and or you know working on you know letamosis antidotes and that kind of stuff like yeah. setting up a foundation in peony's name i probably would have wanted to stick something in there so it's not all just buying the more dresses yeah okay speaking of audrey and pearl though what did you think of pearl's chapter it was very interesting to be inside her head mm-hmm. yeah it's it's nice and not nice at the same time. I feel like mm-hmm. we understand her a little better. Yeah. You know, we always kind of saw her as vapid and shallow, but this situation has affected that vapid and shallow light that she had. And so mm-hmm. that is going to take a toll on her. And yeah, people are dying, including her sister. And she's worried about like the fact that no one wants to be her friend anymore. Mm-hmm. But she's a teenage girl and we have, you know, everybody's going to have different maturity levels, but some teenage girls, that is going to be what's most important to them. Oh yeah. So I thought it was very interesting and I thought it was accurate. I think, yeah, I think if Marissa had tried to redeem her character in that chapter in some way, we wouldn't have believed it. So it's realistic in in a way. In a certain small way, by her not trying to redeem Peony or not Peony, uh, Pearl, it made it a little bit more redeemable. You see her as a more realistic teenage girl who has these teenage girl problems. And of course she's mm-hmm. not fully redeemed, but you, you're you not excusing, but you understand her actions better. And, that and it goes back it to nature more. versus nurture, like you guys exactly. talked about before. It, how much of this can we blame on her parenting? Mm-hmm. Peony turned out very different, right? I have three sisters and we're all very different despite the fact yeah. that we grew up with the same parents. Um, but there is a nature versus nurture and personalities are going to shift based on the people around them. And Mm -hmm. Pearl idolizes her mother and wants to be just like her. So Mm -hmm. how much of that is based on, well, this, my mother is the example I'm following. That's also, I'd love to see a chapter of something from Audrey's perspective because her view of the world is so different from everyone else's that we've seen. We've seen Lavana's distorted view of reality. And we've seen Cinder and Kai and Cress and Winter and even seeing Pearl as like an outsider who's not someone close to Cinder. We see her side of the story of that whole situation. I would love to see Audrey's side of the story because it just seems like such an interesting thing to read. Exactly. And we get a little bit of that when she was talking while getting the invitations. But yeah, I, I agree. I would love to see more in depth of, you know, how she viewed the whole Cinder situation. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about perspectives we didn't get that I want, I need more Torin. 
Yes. Karen is the only adult in the entire series. I need a chapter from his perspective where he's like, yes. why is everything up to these dumbass hormonal 17 I love <laughs> like, that. Exactly. I Torin desperately well, I need that. You're saying how much I love Torin. Yeah. I adore Torin. He's such a fun character. And I love, okay, first of all, I love how he takes on a fatherly role for Kai. Because mm-hmm. Kai really needs that. And also, I love how he's also taking care of Cress by handing her that little handkerchief. How he... honors her and how like he looked almost proud of cinder at the very end when she was walking out for that meeting he was he was definitely proud oh yeah absolutely so i just his character is so much fun i love it he's probably my favorite side character that's not one of the same i know everybody i think i think because of my age but i i get questions a lot of like which one do you have a crush on as an adult i'm like torin duh yeah dude's got a stable job He's obviously intelligent. He knows how to take care of himself and the people around him. He is mm-hmm. not going to lie to me about anything. Like, he's right. very straightforward. Like, this is a stand-up guy. Yeah. I think Torin is my favorite, followed closely by Maha. Because her character in this book was so fun to, not fun to read, but, like, interesting, interesting. And, like, yeah. I got chills during her first speech when she got up and was talking about how she was going to stand with Cinder. I got chills <laughs> right. during that. Right. I love Maha. I was so sad when she died. I literally did start crying. I cried so many times during this book. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is from a writer's perspective, Maha had to die. Yeah. But it's also still kind of sad that she died. Mm -hmm. I think we all kind of knew that she was going to have to die for story moving forward and also for Scarlet and Wolf to kind of work out in the end because that is- Well, if she had lived, I think that she would have gone to live on the farm. Absolutely. I don't think Scarlet would have any problem with her mother-in-law living on the farm. She'd put her to work. (laughs) She'd be like, you can get the chickens. Wolf has to do tomatoes. That's his thing. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something else. During that whole scene with Maha having to break her fingers, Mm -hmm. I was on the edge of my seat because, again, no matter how many times I reread this, I will always think, I've always been like, oh, if only something could have changed. And I saw later, Cinder was doing that exact same thing. And so it felt very much like relating the character to the reader because, again, we all do. We have this perspective of, oh, what if they did that? What if they did this? To try to, like, save everyone. And so by showing Cinder doing that exact same thing, it kind of fleshes out her character and makes her seem more real. Because that's what we always do whenever we make a mistake. Oh, if only I had done this differently. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome to see that in a character and having that character be fleshed out. Yeah. It's kind of cringy of a scene to watch too, you know. Yeah. It's oh, like yeah. when you're watching like a, a doctor show or a horror movie or something. And you're like, yeah, I yeah. want to turn away, but I, I also can't turn away. Mm-hmm. Okay, speaking of death, this is a very controversial question. Mm. Do you think one of our main characters should have died? Mm. And if so, who? I don't think any of them should have died. But Uh plot-wise, it could have been Cinder because, um, like what Thorne said, alive, you're a revolutionary, dead, you're one hell of a martyr. Yeah. Um, anybody else's death wouldn't have had a huge impact on the overall story necessarily mm-hmm. because we would still have our revolution. Yeah. Right. So just... the only death that would have been impactful in a in a long-term way, um, I think would have been Cinder because it affects the most people. 
mm-hmm. or I guess maybe Kai, but we all know Torin is there, so yeah, not really. Um, I'm just thinking about the fact that they're all in a war, and during this final battle scene, there are so many like near fatal injuries that could have been some sort of timed for a character to die. It just it's interesting that they all survived, and sometimes it makes it feel like these characters have too much plot armor. Not trying to say anything about this book. It's a perfect book, in my opinion. Well, not perfect book, because nothing is perfect, but you get what I'm saying. It's close to perfect as perfect can be. And so sometimes the fact that none of the main characters died can be a detriment to the story. Because it feels like with eight characters and an android, (laughs) there should have been some casualty statistically. So if you were writing this, who would you have killed and why? I would probably, oh my gosh, I would probably use Cress's death because I like the saddest thing because that would be very upsetting to Thorn overall and the whole group. And it wouldn't have a happily ever after ending because I never like writing those happy endings, but I feel like it would have been a very impactful moment for both the readers and uh, for the characters themselves. And I feel like it would also make sense with what happens afterwards. Wolf and Scarlet, they go back to that farm together. Kai and Cinder, they have to rule their countries. Winter and Jason, they uh, live happily ever after. Jason going back to medical school. And so Crescent Thorn, Thorn would still be having his job, so have his ship. Cress is there with him during that time, but she, don't get me wrong, I love them together, would have been able to not be there. See, I would have killed Thorn. No, I couldn't do that. I know you love that, but I'm just saying, like, having him sacrifice himself when he's always been Mm -hmm. self-centered and- Oh yeah, that would have been a good- That would have been a good- if I would have you know, just sacrificing himself instead of mm-hmm. killing Cress. You know, I would have been but... thinking for Cress's thing, she was always wanting to hide for safety. So her dying in this moment of trying to save yeah. their group would be her last sacrifice and her final move from choosing everyone else over herself is in her own safety and fear. She pushed past that fear one last time in order to save her friends. I wonder if... Um readers would consider that a disservice to spend four books convincing me as the reader that these people belong together only yeah. to have it fall apart because of a circumstance oh, um, of course. and then the other thing I would say well a couple of things one it's a book Mm-hmm. You know, readers are going to want a happy ending. Maybe she wanted oh, yeah. to kill Harry Potter. Wanted to the author of Harry Potter wanted to kill off Ron, and her producer uh, publishers wouldn't let her. So, oh, so yeah. it might not have even been up to Marissa. Um, two, not everyone dies. Yeah. Um, and then three, death is an inevitable and unexpected and unexplained force of nature. We have no idea when or how it'll take place. Mm-hmm. Um, for uh. And, and even if we think we do, we don't. My, my grandmother uh, smoked my whole life. And when she died, her lungs were beautiful, clean, and they were even able to donate some of the tissue. Mm-hmm. My grandfather, her husband, never smoked a day in his life. He has emphysema. Mm-hmm. Does that situation seem, you know, right 
or vin, you know, vindicated or justified or anything like that. No, but that's just how life happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, my okay. husband is in the United States military. My father was in the United States military. My stepfather was in the United States military. My uncle was in the United States military. My other uncle was in the United States military. None of them have died. None of them have received injuries. None of them have had, you know, poor experiences in terms of like lifetime, life altering uh, effects from being in the military. There was a young man on base two months ago, 18 years old, straight out of basic, got hit by a car and died instantly. So mm -hmm. sometimes even if we think a situation calls for a specific reaction, it, it might not be that reaction that we're expecting. And so mm -hmm. I think it's realistic in terms of even if we expect there to be death at every turn, there's not. And it's not like these people yeah. come out unscathed. There's a ridiculous amount oh, yeah. of PTSD as we see in the graphic novels. Some mm -hmm. people are missing fingers. Some people had to get like cyborg parts. Like, But I think mm -hmm. that... I think that in terms of like what your fans would consider a disservice in this type of series, death is not an option. And now yeah. some of her darker books, Heartless, the Renegade series, yeah, those are the instant karma. Those books are a lot darker. They take a much harsher edge of the world, especially Heartless. Mm -hmm. So deaths in those books, the readers aren't shocked by it. In like you are because you never want death, but it's not like that has no place in this series. A yeah. death in this series of one of the main characters, that has no place in it. We as the reader have not been prepared for that based on the last five books. Yeah. I just, I thought it was an interesting question to think of because, again, as you said, you feel so unprepared for death in this book that even, like, the death of Maha, who was introduced for maybe a few chapters, felt super, super impactful. So it was mm -hmm. just an interesting thing to think about if one of these characters had to die who would it be and why? And, you know, it's not like Marissa hasn't pulled our heartstrings. She killed oh, Peony really quickly. Oh, that death. Is, um, yeah. You know, so it's not like she hasn't gotten us before. I think we all kind of expected Grandma to die, but Peony yeah. kind of... I know the first time I read it, I was like, we're killing off one of the stepsisters? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I, it's not like Marissa hasn't pulled our heartstrings. It's not like she hasn't sacrificed characters for the sort... For the, the state of the plot um but in theory at the end of the book you want everyone to have somewhat of a hopeful ending yeah and because all of these people are in such strong relationships you can't you yeah. can't kill any of them and expect there to be a long relationship if anything you would have to kill that person very early on so that we could have mm -hmm. an arc by the end where that person is like the other person is learning how to like move on and live their lives yeah or Speaking that person also sacrifices themselves and we understand why. Mm -hmm. Speaking of relationships, though, do you guys ship Kenny and Eiko? Because throughout Wires and Earth, specifically in the graphic novels, and later, it kind of becomes its own ship. So, like, do you guys ship it? It's fake, so sure. But I... it's also, like, weird. It's artificial intelligence. Also, I have, like, a an inappropriate... I have an inappropriate fake ending in my head where Iko gets a body and becomes human. So, like, I, love that so much. I, I don't think anyone would ever do it. And I'm probably going to alienate half of the people listening. But, like, in my head, it's like an organ donor situation. And Iko <laughs> gets a body and gets to become human. And then she gets to live a life and die with all her friends. So, I know. Otherwise, like, <laughs> otherwise, he's in love with a robot and it's weird. 
But also, if Aiko doesn't become human, then she has to watch everyone die. She has to watch Cinder die. She has to watch... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would break my heart. So, but yes. she would be. I think she would become kind of like a family heirloom. Like they would die, but she would be taking care of their kids. Oh, I love that though. Like yeah. she wouldn't be. She wouldn't not be a part of their lives. You know. Mm-hmm. It just it still breaks my heart to think of Aiko having to watch Cinder die because Cinder was such yeah. an important. And that's thing. why in my head I just pretend that someday she somehow becomes a human and it's all fine. Absolutely <laughs> magic, magic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What about you guys? Do you have an issue with the artificial intelligence human relationship? I just, I always kind of forget Aiko is, you know, an AI because it's always, again, it's such an important part of her character that she is to herself and some of her friends, she is human basically. And so it, it was just an interesting dynamic to read about in Wires and Nerves because Kinney was so aware of Aiko being a robot mm-hmm. a very interesting one when Aiko was forgetting that yeah I like it I like them together I I liked it from the first introduction of them together so I yeah whatever I can do in my mind to make them happily ever after I'm um I'm all for it yeah because <laughs> the they're head. the they're the enemies to lovers kind yeah. of trope yeah I okay, but I feel gets so fired up around Kenny that it is so I love it so much because she was using so much sass, even more so than usual. Yeah, that it made it such an interesting, uh, such a fun dynamic. Yeah. Um, how would Iko and Kenny fit among your other ships? Um, because we ranked those, so if you had to change or I mean, add- I feel like we didn't get enough. Mm-hmm. to really put them in did you end up did you read wires yeah. and nerves I don't there's know still I... not a lot even in wires and even nerves, in wires and nerves. there's but only just... a couple of scenes there and they're dismissed very quickly i know so i i don't know it, it would have to go at the end just because i don't have enough time to connect with them as a couple mm-hmm. yeah i wish something i wish was that kenny would have been mentioned or made an appearance during the extra short story uh COVID-128 that Marissa Meyer wrote because Mm, that would have been fun it would have been fun it would have been very fun to kind of see where he is because we saw everyone else and he was there in uh the stars above short story of the epilogue and so it would have been fun to kind of see him and see where he's at compared to where Aiko is yeah I think Marissa could only include certain characters in that yeah. sort of a story with that short amount of time to write it. Oh, yeah. And so she just focused on the the main. main. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love that story. That story was such a help during quarantine when I was like rereading all of Marissa Meyer's books and needing something new. Like it was such a shock. I was like, oh my gosh, this is something new. Now, are you guys going to cover Stars Above, the graphic novels, COVID-128? Are you guys going to cover any of that? Um, we, I hope to in the future, but we're currently focusing on getting through the main books and then we're going to go do some other series for a little while. And then we hope to come Come back back, after we get through Renegades, hopefully Gilded when it comes out. And then we're going to come back and kind of, also on Heartless, of course, and do whatever is left with the extra Marissa Meyer stuff. What, um, what series are you planning on doing next? Um, we are planning on doing the Shatter Me series by Tejeda Mafi. It's one of my Ooh. absolute 
and there's so many books to cover and there's so much to cover that I yeah I thought we had to do it as soon as possible because I haven't really seen anything on it that I could find there have been very few reviews on it and so it was something that it's such a big series like I can see it all over book talk but I found very few reviews that I could listen to and I live vicariously through them after I finished the books yeah and so I mean that's part of why I started my podcast it's such a huge series I I was shocked that there wasn't one out there already exactly I I got tired of there not being one so I made one yeah that's again (laughs) for that thank you for that because we need more Lunar Chronicles content yes and I love the chapter by chapter dissection because again there's so many things I don't notice because again I'm a bad reader as I say I mean there's a lot of things I don't notice and I'm the host of the podcast so yeah you know Ashley and I um did an episode this morning and we both pointed something out and um she said something and I was like wait I didn't notice that and she's like I've only read these books like twice, Bethany. And it's like, you when you're reading, you don't always pick up on every tiny little thing. When you're taking exactly. notes, like sentence by sentence, you notice a lot more. Exactly. And that's, again, why I love listening to it. because, And that's why I also love this podcast. Because although I'm not taking notes sentence by sentence, I still notice a bunch of new things I never noticed, even though I probably should have noticed it by then. But even if you're not taking a note for like every second, you're keeping in mind like, while you're reading it, you're keeping in mind like, oh, that might be a good topic. Let me write that down. Yeah, exactly. And so it, again, these conversations are what make books so much more fun to read because that's why I always, whenever I read a book, I force my mom to read it too, because I need to have this conversation with someone else. Well, and let's be honest here. You don't necessarily force me. Yeah, (laughs) I'm willing. You are. Willing participant usually. Yes. But I mean, it's just, it's so interesting to get to talk to someone because we all notice different details. And again, we go back to that different perspectives. Yeah. And so that's why, again, my mom and I are book buddies. And that's why we started this podcast, because we want to share our different perspectives with other people with different perspectives and hear those different perspectives and talk about them. And that's why when you talk, you sent that DM after the Scarlet episode, or Mm -hmm. not press episode, discussing um, our thoughts and your thoughts on us. Because I was listening to it, I was like, I have to message them right now or I'm going to forget. That meant so much to us because this whole thing was to get to interact with people who have read these books and want to talk about these books. Because that's the best part of reading. You get to talk to other people who've read these books and lived these lives through these stories and met these characters and made friends with them. And so or that's, like, that. that's one of the things I love about having a Patreon, too, is there's a Discord chat and that's like all we do. Mm hmm. You know, and it's it's um it's nice when you can have those kinds of friendships where you can because my, my Patreon is basically free. Um, so it's nice when you can have those kinds of friendships where you can be like, Hey, I just re I reread this chapter, what do you guys think of this? Or hey, I just heard this new song, is isn't it perfect for this? Or yeah, you know. Absolutely. And yeah. I think especially with living through the world of COVID, yeah. You know, we're all so isolated for so long, you know, having people that you can connect with and not necessarily be right next to Mm -hmm. is really, you know, kind of that saving grace that a lot of us have needed, especially, you know, living through what we just lived through. Mm -hmm. And so, and even the option to have that kind of relationship is amazing because, you know, if this had happened when I was 20 years younger um 
I mean, maybe AOL instant messenger, maybe, but right. I mean, the level of connection that we have with each other now is, is, is nowhere near what we had using dial up. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's just, or before dial up, like somebody else here, but right. Like, well, like when I was a kid, I remember getting a phone that wasn't hung on the wall, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, cause it used to be the phone hung on the wall and you could go, you could talk on the phone but you could only go as far as the cord went. So if you if you were on the phone, like you were on the phone, you weren't like doing other things. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's why these bookish communities, even right right now, it's so incredible. Just throughout, you can talk to people all the way across the world about these books. Like for example, uh, during quarantine, I was playing. I don't even remember what game I was playing, but someone in the chat was like, we were all talking about what we were doing. And I said, oh, I'm listening to an audiobook while I'm playing. They're like, oh, what book? And I said, it was winter because I was re-listening to the Lunar Chronicles. And we just, and the person was like, oh my gosh, I love that series. And we just started talking about the Lunar Chronicles in the chat and like never spoke to them again. But during that moment, it was like an amazing time just to get to talk about books with someone who I've never met, never met again. So and, and it's unlikely that you ever will see them again. And yeah. in another yeah. universe, how would you have met them 10 exactly. years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Yeah, your paths would not have crossed. Exactly. Fate, serendipity, all those words. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Kind of like with the, the whole Lunar Chronicles, right? Fate yep. brought these people together on their own. They wouldn't necessarily have been able to accomplish everything. But and that's why I love They might these- not have accomplished anything. If, like- Cinder, if Cress hadn't spoken to Cinder, because Cress is the catalyst for everything. Exactly. If Cress's decom chip hadn't gone through, Cinder would have either gotten caught running away or would have ran away and, like, what, became a mechanic in Europe? Yeah. Kai would have married Lavana and they would have destroyed the universe. Mm-hmm. Iko would have been, I don't know, Iko, but probably not had a real body because how would Cinder afford that working as a mechanic? Right. Scarlet's grandmother probably would have survived, but she never would have met Wolf and fell in love. Winter mm-hmm. probably would have gotten married off to an earthen diplomat and Thorne would still be in jail. Like, yeah, you know? It also makes me sad that Peony never got to see any of this. She never got to meet the Rampion crew and meet Cinder's found family. Never got to meet Kai. Never got to see Cinder on her throne. Never even got to know that Cinder was a princess. Yeah. Now queen. And so it just, it breaks my heart because Peony would have loved this whole crew. Exactly. Well, and that's just the point, right? You live life and experience what you want Mm because tomorrow's not a given. And so... You know, be the catalyst for whatever you can and go from there. So I have some fun questions. What are some of your favorite quotes from this book? Ooh. Well, my podcast, we do a quote for like every single chapter, right? Yeah. So (laughs) So there's like a million. But off the top of my head, I love Thorne's speech at the end where he's like, look, I know I'm an asshole, but I don't have to be. So here's what I'm going to do to like not be that way so that I can deserve yes. you because you're a goddess. I love that little speech of his. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, yeah. cool. I'm kind of, there's like a million in my head, you know? Yeah. Um, one of my favorites from Lavana. it just, I, I don't know why, it just always stuck with me as my favorite quotes because it was so funny. I don't hate you. I'm merely annoyed at your continued existence. That's just something that I feel like I could use so much in my daily life. 
And I think it's true. Like, she doesn't hate her. She doesn't care about her. She's just yeah. annoyed because she worked so hard to kill her, and now she's just walking around. Exactly. Yeah. I think probably so, the most popular from this one would be the Ico line, broken. Yeah. Isn't the, the same as as, unfi- as unfixable. Yeah. Which, it's such a great sentiment, too, because it's something that everyone can use in their daily lives. Because I just know, like, you may feel broken, but you are not broken or not unbroken i'm speaking bad but you may feel broken but that does not mean that you're unfixable and everyone can take that time to kind of realize i can fix myself or people can help me people can help me fix myself we can do this i am not unfixable and so it's just a very impactful quote and i think that's why people seem to connect so much with it yeah i like the quote when um winter um in her dream uh Tilavana says we may be animals but we will never again live in your cage speaking of the dream i think a lot of people have noticed this already i just want to point out again just to again say how amazing marissa meyer is the seventh plate was the one that she gave up on after seven plates broke seven dwarves i just thought that was oh! a fun little detail i never picked up on that yeah so it's like just the seven dwarves, the seventh plate broke and she gave up. To those a fun little tidbit. <laughs> I always took the um, seven wolves as her seven dwarves. Ah. I don't think... Because those... they took care of her and they guarded her and they were the yeah. ones that, that were there when the princess was uh, attacked by the queen. Yeah. Yeah. I, speaking of the queen... How, why did she think that Jason would actually kill Winter? Like, yeah. Because she killed Everett. Yeah. Well, that's Yeah, that's fair. She knew, she is ruthless. She Mm -hmm. is, she is capable of decompressing and separating her emotions from her duty. And Mm -hmm. she knows that Jason has spent his whole time as a guard separating his emotions from Winter, for Winter, from his duty as a guard. Mm-hmm. So she thinks if she gives him this ultimatum, she'll do what, what she had to do and she'll sacrifice. He would mm-hmm. sacrifice the way that she sacrificed Everett. That's why I, she thinks he'd do it. I feel like Lavana, she was so like ready to like question Kai about Cinder. She has this sh- ship search. It feels like she would do more to make sure that Winter was actually dead. I don't know. It just feels like she wouldn't just trust Jason saying, oh yeah, she's dead. Here is some video footage. Um, well, for starters, she has no reason not to trust Jason necessarily. Because if you separate his connection from Winter, he's been a guard and he's done his job. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, Jason she- had evidence and footage. You know, it wasn't good evidence or footage, but he had he some- had evidence to say. Like, he had receipts, mm-hmm. right? And then... She needed to believe that Winter was dead. There was no reason yeah. for her to not be dead. Yeah. It, I just, again, because you want to apply your own filters to these characters. You want to yell at them like, no, why are you trusting this person? Why are you so crazy? It's just, I just, I don't understand how like Lavana can be so in her own head about, of course he would kill Winter. Because, like, it's so clear that, like, she even sees that he cares about her so much. And it just, 
Yeah. I it makes me kind of like she likes to torture people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Way. So I yeah. I think like, I think it, the reason she believes it is because she did it herself. Yeah. She does not understand the concept of real love. She understands oh. her interpretation of love. And mm-hmm. the only interpretation she has of love is how she felt for Everett. Yeah. And she was able to ignore that interpretation and kill him. Because it was the, as far as she thought, she thought it was the right thing to do. And so I think she applied, like what you were saying, she applied that to another person. Mm -hmm. And and she sort of sees, I think she sees Jason as similar to her. Because Jason is the epitome of separating duty from emotion. Mm -hmm. Levon is such an interesting character to analyze. That's why I liked her chapter so much, because it felt very much like she was building up this own world in her head that was separated from like our reality. Yeah. And so she was just, you, after having all of Ferris to understand her character and her motivations and see this backstory to this character that we didn't know much about actuality, it just, it was so interesting to read some of these chapters and see how her thoughts were working during these situations. Exactly. Now yeah. I'm changing the topic here. Okay. And this kind of goes back to last episode of mm-hmm. who's the weakest mind. Mm-hmm. I love how Cinder points out a lunar toddler could manipulate Thorn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. I wrote that down. I was like, "See, Thorn is the weakest." <laughs> I love Thorn though. He's the best in my opinion. Thorn is also like. They, they they have that joke of like criminal mastermind thorn is not a criminal mastermind thorn is like a self-preservation type of person so he's not thinking about what do i do to prevent myself that's why he grabs a freaking gun when he's in the middle of a room of people that can control him he's like let me use my uh weapon why yeah. on earth would you use your weapon i know <laughs> also okay i will say about thorn not being criminal mastermind he is the only one who thought to have a backup plan if things didn't turn out right when first sneaking onto Luna. True. Which, That's true. How did they not think that the ship would be searched? They know Lavana's is paranoid queen. Yeah. It. They kind of needed a backup plan, and I'm I'm shocked that Thorn was the only one who actually had the sense to think of it. True. True. But a toddler can manipulate them, so mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. Also, okay, the missing fingers club. Mm-hmm. How is Cinder just an honorary member? She's missing all of her fingers on one hand. <laughs> because she didn't lose them in battle like they did. But still, she's she's missing fingers. <laughs> but I love that idea that they have a club of missing fingers. Exactly. <sighs> all right. So what did you end up rating on a scale of one to five? Oh, five stars. Five, yeah. Bethany, this is perfection. Can... This is perfection in between the pages of a book. Yes, perfection. Mm-hmm. Five stars. Mm-hmm. I think when I first read it, I gave it four stars. <gasps> but me. after reading it, <laughs> I definitely have to change that to five stars. Me. Yeah. Well, and it's hard because if you read Heartless, if you read Renegades, if you read Instant Karma, I'm sure when we read Gilded, we'll have similar opinions. Her mm-hmm. writing and her craft has improved immensely over the years and changed so much and yet this is still top tier oh yeah so imagine being able to improve from this yeah yeah on perfection yeah more perfect it's 
insane how she's even able to do this. Yeah. We we bow down to Marissa. Meyer. Queen Marissa. She is amazing. So. Yes. Okay. So. Um, do you have one favorite moment from this book? We've talked about a lot about favorite moments, but it is tradition to always end this talk with one favorite moment from this book and one least favorite. Okay, mm. so least favorites? I would say my favorite was when she threw the foot in the lake. Why? Just because it's closing that chapter in that mm-hmm. definition of who she was in that symbol of that 11 year old you know foot you know mm-hmm. that tortured her for so long and she didn't need that anymore yeah. so she could let that piece of her past go and least favorite <sighs> least favorite let me think on that one okay we'll go bethany do you have a favorite favorite i have like a lot of favorites don't i well, yeah but... If I absolutely have to pick a favorite, I love when Scarlet and Wolf are talking and Scarlet's like, of course, you're coming with me. What are you talking about? Where else would you go? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a, and a mirror of that, I, lo- I also love like what you were talking about earlier, the scene where she like doesn't even notice that he's changed because he's still him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Least favorite... I don't know. I also thought of the punch when Jason punches Thorne. That's like magic. Um, Least favorite because it it stresses me out so much and I cannot even is um, when Cinder is in the cell and Audrey and Pearl are like berating her. Yeah. I I just want to punch them in the face and Cinder is like, I'm better than you. And I'm like, I'm not punch them and use the metal hand. Like, yeah. I'm not above this. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's probably my least favorite if I have to pick a, mm-hmm. a least favorite moment. Yeah. I would actually have to agree with, agree with that for least favorite because that is just so, again, I almost started crying because I was so upset for Cinder. I wanted to bake her cookies. Yes. And so I would agree with that for least favorite because it makes me so mad. And that just shows how good Marissa is at writing because we are able to get so mad at these characters. It just... I, I love it, but I hate it, and I love to hate it. And favorite moment, I this is one moment that I haven't really talked about. The Cresswell reunion, it just, it made my heart so happy when Cress and Thorne finally yeah, got back together. True. And then also, again, I have to say this part, Thorne stabbing Cress because it was just so heartbreaking, and the fact that it got me to feel that emotion, cry so much, means it has to be kind of a favorite moment. And I... Now, my least favorite was probably seeing how broken Winter was Mm -hmm. after using her gift on Scarlet. Oh, yeah. That was probably my least favorite, just because Mm -hmm. my heart broke for her. Yeah. I think also the first time you read it, the first time you read that scene, there's a moment where you're like, oh, she doesn't come back from this. Oh, yeah. That's what I originally thought that. Yeah. It just, ugh. Yeah. But I love, like, how everyone gets a happy ending. Yeah. Because this is a book series that needs a happily ever after. Because these characters go through so much. It, it's so nice to see them have a happily ever after. Especially getting to see past the happily ever after in the wires and nerves and the uh, epilogue. Well, mm-hmm. and that's right. You know, you you don't go through life unfazed. You don't go through life without losing pieces or getting scarred or, you know being hurt or Mm -hmm. you know whatever but it's still finding your happiness in spite of all Mm -hmm. of that that's what 
really I think makes this series so beautiful Mm -hmm. is that it's it's like real life you know you get hurt in real life but you know you make your happiness wherever you can get it and you take it and you run with it so and our final thing that I want to say is if you had to rank the books how would you rank them oh this is my top by far followed by (sighs) probably cinder Mm -hmm. and then press and then scarlet i thought scarlet was your favorite yeah scarlet's my see i it changes on the by the way i don't know so that's how i'd rate it today okay (laughs) bethany what about you Mm, press winter scarlet cinder i go well wait ferris and then cinder that or when Cress, winter scarlet cinder ferris is last because then i don't have to put any of my favorite four last it can be ferris is last okay (laughs) probably will go uh winter cress cinder ferris scarlet and i love all these books i just i think levon's perspective is so interesting that it has to go above last place but it's basically like saying if you have to rank all five of these near perfect things which is the least perfect yeah so by having start last is not at all me saying that i don't like it or i don't love it i still adore it but yeah it's just falling last unfortunately okay so Thank you so much for listening. And again, thank you so much, Bethany, for joining us yes, for the second thank part. You. It's been thank so you for fun having me. You and hear your perspective. Um, look for her podcast at Prince Guy Fan Pod. You can find her on Instagram and Facebook at Prince Guy Fan Pod, her email, princeguyfanpod at gmail.com, and her Patreon, patreon.com slash princeguyfanpod. And as always, you can find us at our email, momdaughterbooktalk at gmail.com, or Instagram at motherdaughterbooktalk. And you can leave suggestions for future episodes and potentially be chosen to be featured on those episodes. And if you want to support this podcast and our future episodes, you can become a sp- supporter through the link in our Instagram bio. Thank you so much for listening. And you ho- we hope you join us next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Bye. Bethany. Bye. Thank-